You're listening to a podcast by the Center for Action and Contemplation. To learn more, visit cac.org. Greetings. I'm Jim Finley. And I'm Kirsten Oates. Welcome to Turning to the Mystics. Welcome, everyone, to Season 8 of Turning to the Mystics where we're turning to the German mystic, Mechtild of Magdeburg. And I'm here with Jim, and we're going to dialogue about his second session, his second talk from Mechtild. Welcome, Jim. Yes, yes, welcome. Here we are. Firstly, I loved the talk. I'm, I'm really enjoying this season so far. Yeah, me too. Um, but just like last time, I thought it might be good to read through the whole piece at once that you reflected on in your talk. Mm. And um, so, and we can play the parts like we did last time. I'll play Mechtild and you can, you can be God. Yes. And so just so everyone can find it, we're in uh, Mechtild of Magdeburg's book, The Flowing Light of the Godhead, and we're in book three, page 107, and the section's called How the Soul Praises God and God the Soul for Seven Things of Balsam and Waiting. O sweet Jesus, most handsome image, unconcealed to my exiled soul in distress and in love. In love I praise you through yourself, in distress and in love, in union with all creatures. I yearn to do this above all things. Lord, you are the sun for all eyes. You are the delight of all ears. You are the voice of all words. You are the force behind all piety. You are the teaching of all wisdom. You are the life of all that lives. You are the ordering of all that is. Then God praised the loving soul in fine words. He took great delight in doing so. You are the light to my eyes. You are the lyre to my ears. You are a voice for my words. You are a projection of my piety. You are an honor to my piety. You are a life living in me. You are a praise in my being. Lord, you are constantly lovesick for me. That you have clearly shown personally. You have written me into your book of the Godhead. You have painted me in your humanity. You have buried me in your side, in your hands and feet. Ah, allow me, dear one, to pour balsam upon you. O one dear to my heart, where shall you find the balm? O Lord, I was going to tear the heart of my soul in two and intended to put you in it. You could never give me a more soothing balsam than to let me unceasingly lie weightlessly in your soul. Lord, if you were to take me home with you, I would be your physician forever. Yes, I want that. Still, my solicitude bids you wait. My love bids you labor. My patience bids you keep silent. My concern bids you suffer poverty. My dishonor bids you bear up. My sufficiency bid you refrain from complaint. My victory bid you pursue to the end all virtues. My goal bid you endure many things. For this, you shall have glory when I remove your heavy burden. Ah, wow, beautiful. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, is, it is beautiful. I just had some questions about, about the beginning <coughs> of the piece. She starts off like all the mystics you've been sharing with us, Jim, with this this worldview of uh, of this exile that we're in. But but yeah. these mystics they always start with with us being in this state of oneness, yeah. but we're exiled from it um, in right. our experience. It's so different from other versions of Christianity. So it's it kind of it's good to reiterate it and get our head around it. And really, this is the, also the tradition, although we don't hear it. So this is in Aquinas also in Bonaventure and so on. Is that at the deepest, deepest possible level, the abyss-like depths of God 
is by the generosity of God given to us as the abyss-like depths of ourself mm. and our nothingness without God. And that, that generosity of God, that self-donating generosity, which is the person that we are, is our God-given identity. It's invincible. It's sovereign. But our human nature that is given to us, not just reason, but our, our human nature is given to us as a nature, it's one that's capable of recognizing that, mm -hmm. which is religious experience. And then in recognizing it, freely assenting to it, like saying, yes, because love is never imposed, it's always offered. So there's the sovereignty of the person that we are. It says in scripture, let us create the human person in our image and likeness. So the image is the person that we are. The likeness is the nature that realizes it. And so the nature is wounded See, then it, through the fall. Mm -hmm. So and Jesus calls it blindness. In Buddhism, it's called ignorance. And Hinduism too, samsara. It's the realm of a wounded nature that's, that's wounded in the capacity to recognize this oneness. Mm -hmm. And so with respect to our nature, we're exiled. We're exiled, the soul in distress. And yet in the person, you're unconcealed. Mm -hmm. to me in my exile from you. So I interiorly see your unexplainable oneness with me in my wounded state. Mm -hmm. And that's the paradox. Yes. Mechthild in writing this is saying she's in this state of, of oneness, I guess she's saying unconcealed to my exiled yeah. soul. That's right. Yeah. yeah. See, in other words, in this interior state of being transformed in your love, you're unveiled to me, you're unconcealed yet concealed, yeah. see, because it, it's obscure. I can't show it to anybody. I can't even grab hold of it. Yes. And yet in my heart, my innermost heart, I sense your invincible oneness with me, unconcealed in this concealed hidden state. Uh, and that's the intimacy of faith. That's the intimacy of this love bond with God. It's a very subtle way to put it. It's beautiful. It. Yeah, the way yeah. she opens with that. It's beautiful. Yeah. And this next sentence, it, it was hard to read. You know, it, it, it doesn't flow easily. And I think it's just, again, because there's kind of this paradox built into it. But in love, I praise you through yourself in distress and in love, in union with all creatures. Yeah, so this in love, I praise you through yourself. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so it goes like this. Let's say before creation, there's just God. Before creation, there's just God. And so it's through you in a self-donating act, giving yourself to me as the reality of myself and my nothingness without you, that you're presencing yourself as the gift of my presence. So really, it's through, it's through your self-donating creative act presencing yourself as my presence. I praise you through yourself. That is, it's through you giving yourself to me unexplainably in my distress that I recognize you in my distress. Mm. See, because it's all you. Yes. You know, because without you, there's, there's nothing. So that's, that's the subtlety of it, yeah. It, it's another theme of these mystics that it's all on God's in terms exactly. the ego can't make it happen that, that exactly. it's god and yeah. then and then she says and that's true of all creatures mm. that it's you in the self donating act presencing yourself as the presence of the ocean of the mountains of birds and trees and it's all you as the reality of all the earth and it's nothingness without you and that's the mystical that's the spiritual worldview yes of it yeah cosmology, kind of a contemplative cosmology, the divinity of the material world mm -hmm. and of all things. Yeah. And then she rounds it out with another core teaching that you've been giving us about longing. And she uses the word yearn. I yearn yeah. to do this above all things. But it's, it's like the path. She opens up the path for us of longing. Yeah, yeah. Yes. And another piece too, and this will come up later on in the same section too. And so now that I see this, I, I yearn to do this constantly. That as I yearn with your help to see you giving yourself to me as me in my distress, giving yourself to me as a high, high joy beyond the joys of my joy, giving yourself to me like this. And I yearn to do this. I long for this constancy of this communal state. In love and distress. In love and in both. Yes. So even though 
love and distress, there's a, the wave, the rise and the fall of distress and joy, distress and joy. The, the constancy of this love permeates the joy and permeates the distress unwaveringly. See, it's the constancy of God sustaining us in our wavering ways of this earth. That's the thing. I think he said in your talk that she's so intuitively dense. I can't see why you said that, Jim. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, like, yeah. It's like we're only into the first couple of sentences. Yeah. yeah so. I, I mean, seriously, look how yeah. literary she is. She packs every word is such intuitive precision. Yes. It's just the poetic preciseness. And yet when you unpack it, you can kind of, anyways, it's just brilliant. It's just, she's so gifted this way. Yeah. Another thing that really stood out for me when we read it together is how uh God, she she outlines seven things about God, and then God mirrors back to her, and the same seven things, and it, right. it reminded me about when you learn about how to be a good listener, and one of the one of the best ways to listen well is to repeat back what people say to you, that's to, right, to mirror right. them back, and then they feel heard and seen, and so there's something beautiful about this mirroring in, in this piece. There, there really is. So in therapy, this, this idea of empathy. Mm -hmm. So when you say it, and then if I can repeat it back, I'm bearing witness that I heard you, mm -hmm. that you're not alone. Because the fact you said it doesn't mean I heard it. In order to say it back, I have to listen. And so this is this back and forth, this reciprocity between herself and God, or I, I think I referred to Thomas Merton, in the spiritual order to understand is to, is to realize that we're infinitely understood. Mm. And so our understanding of the understood and the understood, there's always that kind of interior oneness, the communion. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so, Jim, I thought maybe we could read those seven lines, like with the mirroring of, of, yeah. of each, and then take a pause and maybe you reflect a little bit on, on each one. Each, yeah, we'll do each one at a time. Yeah, we'll yeah, okay, that sounds good. good. Okay, good. Okay, so I'll start. It's, it's Mechtild first thing, God mirroring back. So. Yes. Lord, you are the sun for all eyes. You are a light to my eyes. An infinite self-donating creative act. The infinite love of God is creating the sun. Then the reality of God is the sun for all eyes. Mm. See? And this is why St. Francis of Assisi, brother, son, and sister moon. Mm -hmm. See, the brother, son, and sister moon. So Lord that is the sun for all eyes because the sun is the incarnate presence of the love creating and giving itself as the light of the sun, in and as. And I say in and as because to, to say as is to bear witness to the divinity of the sun. And I say in to preserve the distinction because mm -hmm. the sun is nothing without God. So that's the subtlety in all of this. See? And then, then, God's, then God says uh, uh, to her, to us, mm -hmm. see, you are the light to my eyes. So I said in the talk that when a small child walks into the room, the parents light up inside. Mm -hmm. see? And so likewise, we, when God sees us endlessly, God lights up inside, mm. that we're the light of God's eyes, just as God is the light of our eyes. Mm -hmm. And it's another one of the visual dimensions of this love communion of McTeld and God, and really through McTeld of us and God. Mm -hmm. and she, she guides us and to realize this is true of us. I love the way she talks about the universal and then God talks about the particular of her. That's so right. she says, you are the sum for all eyes, recognizing this universal oneness, and then God gives her the gift of saying, but I see you individually. That's right. So it's universal in that it's the overflowing, uh, God-given, godly nature, the totality of all that is. Mm -hmm. But each of us is an utterly unique portal to the totality. Because if it's not us as the portal, then it's kind of theoretical, yeah. like a statement of this general. But it's this, this universality intimately realized through the awakening of our own heart, see, to God uh, in this oneness, yes. Mm-hmm. So, Jim, let's read the next two together, and uh, I'll start. You are the delight of all ears. You are a liar to my ears. You are the voice of all words. 
you are a voice for my words. I want to say too, just just this morning I looked up liar yes. and it, on Google, and it, it demonstrates people playing the lyre <laughs> as a very simple string medieval instrument. Yes, you know. Yes, and so it's like a, a stringed instrument of this this music, this divine music. Mm -hmm. yes. Beautiful. And in the talk you gave, you shared something very um, tender about when you tried to listen or watch the video and of your ceremony and when you heard Maureen's voice, how, how challenging that was. That is. And it just struck me how, um, I mean, it's, it's visually too. I think I'm more used to seeing pictures of her and because uh, they're around, I'm used to it. But th there's something about the voice of the beloved. You know, when you hear their voice, it's so inimitable. And it's about the presence is in the voice. You say that you are the delight of all ears, but really when I hear, when she was alive, I delighted in her voice. So really God is the infinity of the delight that I felt in hearing her voice. Mm. See, mm. Her, vo her voice incarnated God because she's God's beloved. Oh, see? wow. And God was being given to me through in and as her speaking to me. See? And uh, yes. You know, that made me think of how most people, I would say me included, is when you hear yourself on a recording, how most people kind of don't like the sound of their own voice. And so just made me think how harsh we are with parts of ourselves, you know, and it's hard, yeah, we're not always open to this delight <laughs> in our it own is voice. True. Yeah. And there's another dimension of this too. And too, I remember the first time I heard a recording of myself. There's that because inside our head, when it echoes, it doesn't sound like that. Yeah. We yeah. have to we have to get used to that. That's what people hear. But there's another way of looking at it too, and I'll go back to Maureen. Is that to hear someone's voice isn't just to hear the sounds that they're making when they talk. To hear their voice is to hear their soulful self-disclosure and everything that they're saying. Mm. You hear their voice, that is, you hear their presence manifesting itself in and as their self-disclosing words. And that's to hear the voice of the beloved. And that's how God hears us. See? That's how we hear God speaking to us in this love voice of oneness. Yes. Again, if God is the creator of all things, creator of us, and so God is also, in the self-donating act, is the creator of our voice, is the creator of our voice. And, and so you are the, the light of all ears. It's you that cause the light in the things that we hear that delight us. Mm -hmm. And you're the voice of all words. All the words that I speak, God is the voice of all the words that I say. Mm. Because without God creating me in a self-donating act to say this, then... Uh, I, I'd open my mouth and nothing would come out, which is the divinity of my words. And, and so then when God says back to us, you are the liar to my ears, that is just musical thing that brings me, like this music. Every time you talk, it's music to me, just hearing your voice. And, and you are a voice of my, for my words. And by the way, so the mystic, when she's writing this book, The Flowing Light of the Godhead, her words are a voice for God's words. That's how the book started, remember? Who's the author of this book? And he says, it's me. God says, it's me. Am I powerless not to speak? And so really God is then speaking through her, writing this out. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. But the same thing is true of her when she writes is the same thing is true of us when we speak. And this is true, I think, also. It's especially true of us when our words are words of love. Mm -hmm. The words of mercy, the words of kindness, the words of reassurance. You can see that God is the voice and our words of reassurance. But not all our words are words of love mm -hmm. and kindness. So the voice is still the gift of God. But the words we're saying have gone astray. Mm. And, and this is why we need to be aware when we use words that are hurtful, like repentance. In, in Buddhism, this would be like right speech. See, it's a speech that embodies liberation. And so it's the speech that embodies love is the voice of God speaking through us in our voice. And sometimes when our words are not that way, uh, we need to understand where that comes from, to repent of that, to be more consistently truthful and loving in the words that we say to others and to ourselves. Mm -hmm. Knowing that God still lo loves us through and through and through. Yeah, even yeah. though, that's right, even though our words 
are, are misguided. Mm -hmm. uh, God's ongoing word to us speaking through our voice is never misguided, but we kind of slid off the track. Yeah. See? So we need to get back by reinstating our words in alignment with love and with truth and so on. Speaking more from that exiled state. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. And by the way, and also the reason we drift off the road is that we are in an exiled state. Yeah. Mm -hmm. See? And so the point is, is to the exiled state is our fragility mm -hmm. and God's infinite mercy on us in our fragility. But every time we recognize it, we're to repent yeah. and come back to the path and learn every time we drift away to learn from it. Yeah. To be more consistently grounded in this love. So when we speak, we speak with that love constancy or truth constancy. Yes. Yeah. In that example, the recognition such a gift because you can repent internally but also you can recognize if you've caused harm externally to to be That's able right. to yeah i'll say something else too i think in an intimate love relationship between a parent and a child uh, let's say we're in an intimate love relationship and the and the other uh, did something that was hurtful and they know they did something hurtful and they come to you and say, I'm so sorry, I had no right to talk to you that way. You can feel in the sincerity of their voice the truth of it. Mm. And it's very healing to hear that, that tone, yeah. that, or the call note where it rings the truth of love. You can hear that. Yeah. Mm. Oh, that's so helpful. Okay, so we're on to the fourth line. You are the force behind all piety. You are a projection of my piety. And I'm quite curious about this word piety because it's not a word I use. It's it's not a word I've I've, I've heard yeah. very often. Yeah, pious has a negative connotation for us, like pious, like syrupy, or pious, and yes, all that. But, but piety, I think a truer word for it would be um, devotional sincerity. Okay. See, it's like you 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 mean it with all your heart. Mm. See, it's, it's your devotional sincerity. Is, is this piety. So when it says, so when God says that, 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 you see, you are the, instead of the force behind, when she tells God, you are the force behind all piety, is saying that you're the, 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 the energizing reality behind all my piety. Mm, all my devotional sincerity. All, all my devotional sincerity yeah. is really your devotional sincerity, toward, which is what God's going to tell her to. He's going to say this to her. So again, you see this reciprocity of devotional sincerity to devote. Thomas Merton saying with God, a little sincerity goes a long, long way. Mm -hmm. Because we, they say God's the infinity of sincerity. You know, when you read the Gospels too, when Jesus speaks, it's always the truth of the sincerity of love talking mm -hmm. to us. Mm -hmm. and, and like their whole beings behind it. That's right. Yeah. And, and although the translation here is your projection of my piety, I think it's true to say you are the incarnation of my piety. Ah. See, you're incarnating. Your devotional sincerity incarnates my devotional sincerity towards you as my beloved. See, that we're bonded together this way. Mm -hmm. Next one. You are the teaching of all wisdom. You are an honor to my piety. Look at this too. So let's say when we read the words of Scripture, when I was in the monastery chanting the Psalms, it means you're literally chanting God's words mm. when you chant the Psalms. When we read the Scripture out loud, we're saying God's own words with our lips. And so you are the teaching of all wisdom. And what it's saying that wherever there's wisdom, uh, one of the early fathers of the church, I think it's St. Justin Martyr, he says that if, um, if, if God is wisdom, and Socrates is wise. You have Saint Socrates. Mm. That wherever you have wisdom, you have God. Yeah. And so you are the teaching of all wisdom. And so all wisdom, you are the reality of everything wise. Yeah. When I hear something wise, it's you. Yeah. See, it, it, it's you. It's, it's this presence of you and the reverberations of every word of wisdom, every expression of wisdom like this. And then, then he says, you're an honor to my piety because wisdom is spoken with devotional sincerity. Mm. See? So you can't speak devotional sincerity and be cynical. You can't be, you can't be flippant. Mm. You, know, you, you can't be dualistic. There has to be a heartfelt sincerity with our whole being when we speak mm. and share because it means we're speaking and sharing ourselves. Mm. Our sincerity. Oh, that's that's quite powerful. So the 
that God's the energy behind the devotional sincerity and that that can lead to speech that that is wise. That, that's exactly right. So God's the energy behind devotional sincerity. It's really saying that, that God is the reality of all sincerity, embodied and reverberating in and as our sincerity. Mm-hmm. And that's how she sees this intimate communion going on constantly, you know, and everything. And she, when we turn to her for guidance, she guides us and she helps us to see that. Yeah. And ask God for the grace of learning to more consistently see that. Because when we hear it, it can ring poetically true, mm-hmm. even though it's not the way we tend to walk around seeing, hearing things. Yeah. And so she invites us to ask for the grace of constancy in that. And it's the kind of wisdom that gives us a sense of meaning and it, it is. place and, yeah, the sense of wholeness. And that's what I, I think the Gospels are this way, all of Scripture. When you read her, it's like these mystics, you know, it's like everything they say counts. Yeah, yeah. Everything they say, they're not making it up. They didn't get this out of a book somewhere. And it's that constancy of the intimacy of the depth of God reverberating in their words. So when we read it or even read it out loud to ourselves, we realize the presence of the words are in the presence of God speaking to us through their words. Mm-hmm. Like yes. that, and that's the teacher being the teacher, I guess, yeah. Okay, next one. You are the life of all that lives. You are a life living in me. <laughs> That's good. So, so you are the life of all that lives. So it's your infinite life. I said in the talk, when Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. The life you spoke of is the life that is at once God's and our own. Because in the generosity of God, God gives us God's own life as our life in our nothingness without God. So you are the life of all life. And then God says, yes, you're living, you are life living in me. That in God we live and move and have our being. Mm-hmm. We're living our life in the vast interiority of God. So God says, you're life living in me because in the interiority of myself, I see you. See, Because there's no, you can't be outside of God because God has no boundaries. Mm-hmm. There's only the infinite withinness with God. And that's how we're living our life. So God's letting us know that. everything's in God (laughs) and the the final one is you are the ordering of all that is God says then to her to us you are a praise in my being Mm. this one's interesting to me because I guess she's saying that even amidst what can feel like quite a chaotic world there's an ordering and that God is the ordering of things yes my sense is this, you know, there is chaos in this world. You know, saying if you want to make God laugh, tell her your plans for the day because <laughs> it's, uh, everything goes awry. Like this. So there, there is chaos, meaning the unexpected. That's true. But when you really look at it, uh, there's an all-pervasive order. You know, for example, the way each, each day yields to the night and each night yields to the day. There's an order of the sun and the stars moving across the sky. There's the order I've ever heard at the beach of the waves hitting on the beach. There's the order every time we exhale is followed by the inhale, inhale is followed by the exhale. One heartbeat follows another, standing up and sitting down. So these, these primordial rhythms have about them a pervasive kind of divinely given order that's there. And so through prayer, through meditation, through love, we learn to move with the rhythms of that order. That it transcends and permeates the chaos. Mm-hmm. See, there is, there is chaos, but the but the order that permeates the chaos itself, and that's why we need to pause and stay grounded. Because when we speak out of reactivity or fear, then it's part of the chaos. Yeah. But we can slow down enough, get get regrounded, and get our bearings. We get our bearings in the chaos and find a deeper grounding place in the chaos out of which to speak like this. And a good understanding of being healed from trauma mm-hmm. because in trauma we're, we're, we're carried up by the momentum of the internalized chaos. But the healing is we find our way back to the underlying groundedness that sustained us in the chaos and we learn to. So I think that's some of the connotations of that. Yeah, that's helpful. Yeah. If we're lucky, we will find our way back, huh? 
Yes, and, and I think too, yes, if we're lucky, and with God's grace, we always do, if not on this side of death, on the other side of death. Yeah. Because some people don't find their way back. Yeah. By human standards, they don't. Mm -hmm. But we have to trust that God's unexplainably one with them. And as they pass through the veil of death, ultimately, that we're all woven back into this order, which is the order of love. Turning to the mystics will continue in a moment. Explore art as a spiritual practice in the next issue of Wanting, the biannual journal from the Center for Action and Contemplation. Wanting, Art and Spirituality, features images and reflections from leading actors and musicians, including Scott Avitt, Josh Radner, Lourdes Bernard, and more. Get your copy today at cac.org slash wanningart. That's cac.org slash O-N-E-I-N-G-A-R-T. Have you taken an online course with the Center for Action and Contemplation? Explore the intersection of ancient wisdom and Jesus' teachings in The Divine Exchange, an online course featuring Cynthia Bourgeau. Fully embrace divine interaction each day, starting June 16th. Register today at cac.org slash online dash ed. That's cac.org slash O-N-L-I-N-E dash E-D. In this next section where MacTild speaks to God again, I, I wanted to ask you, I was curious about this, you have painted me in your humanity and it made me think about uh, the world as a huge canvas and God's kind of painting us all into being in a way yes. and uh, that we're, we're just part of that artistic endeavour in our humanity. Yes, um, here's another way to see it too for her, along the lines you're saying. Mm -hmm. See, our, our faith in, see, in the beginning was the Word, the Word is with God, and the Word was God, the opening lines of John's Gospel. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and all things were made through Him. And without Him has been made nothing that has been made, and the Word became flesh mm. and dwelt among us. So. The, the second person of the Trinity, the Logos, the second person became flesh as humanity. Mm. So in Christ, the hypostatic union is that Christ, on the one hand, reveals God to us because God is, and the word was God and is God. So he is at once God revealed through Christ of God's mm. mm -hmm. uh, love for us in our brokenness. Because when love touches suffering, it turns the, the suffering into mercy, turns the love into mercy. And this is the mercy of the good news. But also, Jesus is truly human. He reveals our humanity to mm. us. Mm -hmm. So by studying the life of Jesus, he reveals us to ourselves. Oh, I see. Yeah. As, as the human being. Yeah. I don't always live up to it. This is true. But, but the whole message of the gospel, although I don't always live up to it, you're invincibly one with me in my humanity invited me to see it, to repent, to learn from my brokenness through your mercy. And so really, we're being painted that Christ reveals us to ourselves mm -hmm. and the truth of our humanity. Yeah. Because all the miracle stories are about this, because when we fall, we tend to think we are what's wrong with us. Mm -hmm. See, we tend to think, like a walking mistake, nothing. But if we realize that, that no matter how wayward we might become, are the gift of our humanity given to us by God and revealed to us in Christ remains our humanity. No matter how much we stray from it, it never strays from us. Yeah. And through repentance, through grace and prayer, we're being reinstated in the conscious experience of the invincible humanity mm -hmm. of ourselves. That's the gist of it, I think. Okay, that's helpful. Yeah, so that Jesus's life um, kind of gives us, gives us the color of, of yeah. humanity gives us the, yeah. Or another way to say it too, I think, like a visual image. Mm -hmm. If you think of uh, Jesus and you come to Jesus like a visual meditation. Yeah. And you come to Jesus and you let Jesus know what it is that's so troubling to you about something you did or something you failed to do or how confused you are. Like this. And Jesus is, you're saying already about listening, Jesus is infinitely listening. And Jesus infinitely understands everything you're saying more than you do. And when you're finally done, what's Jesus say? 
And so that's the saving word. Yeah. So yeah. Jesus says, not as the, my peace I give you, not as the world gives, because the peace that the world gives is the peace that's conducive to conditions to peace. Yeah. So when everything is peaceful, I'm peaceful. But when things aren't peaceful, I'm not peaceful. But he said, the peace I give you is an all-pervasive peace that unwavering sustains you when conditions not conducive to peace are upon you. Mm -hmm. That there is this peace. Yeah. And you can see MacTilde understands that side of things too because her next line, you have buried me in your side, in your hands and feet. So That's right. She's in the crucifixion as well as the... Yeah. I'm going to share in the next talk, and I think it's book five, she goes on and on and on about her. She was named superior of this congregation of the Beguine women. And she talks about the stress of leadership, mm. these uncooperative uh, members of the Beguine community. Like she says, you know, they're driving me crazy. <laughs> she has this honest talk with God. So she's struggling with leadership. Mm. And she talks to priests and bishops about staying humble in your leadership. So she was immersed. And also she had to worry about being condemned by the church. Yeah. Because she was a woman. Uh, you know, writing this way. So there's always the fear of condemnation. There was struggles. And so she showed this love that she speaks of was a love that was woven in to the troublesome challenges of the day. And, and she went through it. And she knew this love was sustaining her through the challenges. And just like us, mm -hmm. God sustains us through our challenges. Yeah. So I love this next bit where uh, she says she, she wants to pour balsam on, on God and and God says, well, where will you find it? And she says, I was going to tear the heart of my soul in two and intended to put you in it. And yeah. it's it's like her very passionate response to, well, what she was talking about beforehand was the, the crucifixion being buried. You buried me in your side and your hands and feet. Yes. I want to go back for just a minute to refine the, pre like, I want to loop back then weave it into what you just said. Yeah. So when she says, you buried me in your side and in your hands and in your feet, yeah. it means that my struggles in my daily life see, are the very struggles you took upon yourself on the mystery of the cross. Mm. So she's like Julianne of Norwich. See so your hands and your feet and your heart being pierced like this. So in a way, you let me know I'm not alone in my suffering because you join me in my suffering to let me know that you're one with me in my suffering mm. like this. And so because she sees Jesus suffering on the cross out of love for us, yes, I want to have this balm to soothe your pain. And then um, God says, oh, oh, one, oh, one dear to my heart, where shall you find the balm? Like, where do you expect some? Where do you go? Where are you going to go to find what would soothe me? Yes, yeah. Suffering on the cross out of love for you. Where are you going to go? Where are you going to get it? Yeah. So she says, in the zeal of her enthusiasm, I'll tear my heart open, <laughs> you know, and rip it out. That's the zeal of herself as the lover yeah. of God. Yeah. And then the touching words are, you could never give me a more soothing balsam than to let me unceasingly lie weightlessly in your soul. That is. I am lying weightlessly in your soul, but I want you to let me lie there because I'm already there. Uh -huh. And it's weightless because it's me without a should, without a demand, without anything to measure up to, anything to achieve. They're, they're, it's just boundaryless and infinitely free mm -hmm. in the peace. And another way we might say it is God's letting you know, I'm not even interested in your spirituality, but I'm interested infinitely in you. Mm. And all that I want is to let you rest in my oneness with you, which is already one with you, but surrender to it. Yeah. And that's my balm, God says. That's kind of the contemplative communion. Yeah. And this is the mystery of our own ability to assent and the ways we don't assent, assent to that beautiful, weightless experience in our soul. Yeah. 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 And the example I gave, too, which for some reason speaks to me, is um, uh, imagine you're in the middle of the night alone in the dark and you're dying and you know that you're dying and you turn and see the, the flowers silhouetted, the flowers on the windowsill silhouetted in the moonlight, they seem to know all about it. Mm. It's mm -hmm. like we fear it so because it's so primordially vast and transparent see? and it's there all the time mm -hmm. like this, you know. 
And uh, that's God resting weightlessly in our soul, I think. And we come to moments like that where we're silenced yeah. by the beauty of her words or the beauty of something. And you can feel the silent rest, like this wordless resting yes. without name or thing. It's a foretaste of heaven. Really, but the ego panics because it's not achieving anything. Yeah, you know the ego. We'd uh, rather rip it soul apart. Yeah, yeah, we'd <laughs> rip it apart and drum rolls and and uh, trumpets blaring. I'm going to come in to love you, but uh, and here it's disarming yeah. because it's so already unexplainably precious and simple and simply given uh, to us as love. I guess, you know. Yeah. I love that. I love that little scene in the. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and then Jim, just help us understand this this last line of that section where she says, "Lord, if you were to take me home with you, I would be your physician forever." So what she does is she reverses because Jesus is the divine physician that heals the wound of fear through this mercy of God that gives itself to us as a, the wounded beloved that we are. And so here you see God, which is the mystery of the cross, grieving for us and suffering one with us in the mystery of love. And so she reverses it. Says, you, since you've freely chosen to be so in love with me, you don't know if you could handle being God without me, which is God's powerlessness to be anything less than infinitely in love with us. Take me home with you and I'll be your physician forever. So there's another mystical interplay yes. where this back, it's the mutuality of the loving communion, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, so, and then she goes into this final piece. So she's offered to be God's physician and then God responds um, in in this final section. And Jim, could we just go through that, God's response to that uh, one line at a time? Yes. I'll be God, but I'll comment. I'll say it and then we'll comment, say it and comment. And God says, yes, I want that. I'd love you to be my physician forever. (laughs) And I'm I'm taking you home with me too. So I'm looking forward. And by the way, you already are my physician because you're already being so lovingly open to me, see, and you're, you're healing me of um, the distress that I would feel in not having you be infinitely one with me as I'm infinitely one with you. So it's already occurring, see, you're already healing me. But still, see, I want that, but still my solicitude bids you wait. And See, my solicitude, that is, I'm my concern for you. Okay. Mm-hmm. Bid you to wait. So I quoted T.S. Eliot, Four Quartets, to hope too soon is to, to hope for the wrong thing. That is, uh, you haven't uh, loved enough. And you haven't been loved enough. Okay. In, in order to uh, enter into this love that's already unexplainably yours. So I want you to wait to... Uh, be uh, a, a more time leaning into this sincerity and my precious in your brokenness, my strength in your weakness, my these rhythms that will because so, to live on my terms means you that you're being unraveled by my love and you're not unraveled enough. Mm. <laughs> you know, you're still you still have a toehold in your own agenda and you're still trying to pull it off and make it work yes. and so on. So my solicitude says uh, you're, you're not you're not finished yet being undone mm-hmm. by love till there's nothing left but love. See, my love bids you labor, see, but it's my love to bid you to labor in love. Mm. And it's the labor of giving yourself in love to me, giving your, myself to you in love. It's that labor. Mm. And it's also, I would also think, it's the labor in us that doesn't know how to do that yet. Yeah. But also, it's the labor then of accepting we don't need to know how to do it yet. We just keep giving ourselves to God without knowing how to do it yet. And when we accept it, God gives us infinite love to us and our inability to know how to do it. Mm-hmm. It's that paradoxical labor of um, the giving up of means and ends. My, my patience bid you keep silent. Uh, I'll say something out of therapy and trauma. Too. Uh, sometimes we can be uh, in the midst of a long-term struggle to be liberated from a hurtful thing either that's happening to us or a hurtful pattern we can't get past. 
And uh, we, we can be inclined to go on and on and on complaining about it or going on and on and on about we don't think we'll ever get past it, go on and on and on. But what sometimes happens really is uh, it all winds down by itself. Like you get exhausted in the complaint. Mm. And in therapy, this happens in love relationships too. It just winds down into a silence because you're spent see, with nothing to say mm. like this. And, and it's that silence that's pregnant see, mm-hmm. with the upwelling of this tender love that's sustaining you in the midst of the unresolved thing. Mm-hmm. And I think you're silent because you're silenced by it. Yeah. That somehow in the midst of the saga, you're being unexplainably sustained in the midst of the unresolved. Mm-hmm. But unless we're silent, we're not attentive enough to listen to this love voice that's sustaining us in the, of the unresolved thing. And it's transforming our character. Yeah. That, that is, a, is that, those are times when sometimes the silent tears flow. You don't exactly. know where they came from, and they just flow silently down your cheeks. Exactly. And so when we, a gift of tears. See, so then the body is speaking. Yeah. This speaking will be without words. Yeah, out of this silence. That's yeah. right. And you can also sense too, I think, there's a kind of a silence where you can pick up in a person. It's the silence of poised attentiveness. Mm. You can tell the person's not daydreaming or drifting off. They, because so just like there are words that break the silence, they disrupt it. There are also words that embody the silence, but they're words that come out of the silence. Mm-hmm. And so we have to be silenced long enough so when we do speak, it'll be the word that embodies the silence, like I'm sorry, or thank you, or I didn't know, or uh, like that. I think, yeah. you know, the true word from the heart. Yeah, yes, gives um, encouragement for the contemplative practices we all engage in, whatever they might be, but they're generally in silence, even if it's walking or gardening or something like that. It's it's the silence that brings through the... It's really true. Yeah, it's really, it's really, really true. In Buddhism, this would be right speech. Mm-hmm. This is speech that comes out of this clarity or this this awareness. My concern bid you suffer poverty. And my sense is this, blessed are the poor in spirit. Mm-hmm. And uh, I want you to suffer poverty until you experience the depths of your absolute powerlessness without me. Mm. You didn't bring yourself into existence. You don't have the power to keep yourself in existence. Uh, to be at the deathbed of a dying loved one is tangibly clear. A next breath belongs more to God than to us, lest we be presumptuous. Mm. See? The next heartbeat comes more from God from from us. See? So the more that we're able then to suffer, suffer meaning here to undergo, to undergo the absolute poverty, see, then my concern for you is being fulfilled because in the acceptance of the poverty is the welling up of my parent, of my presence. Mm. Presencing itself to you is infinitely precious in your poverty, mm-hmm. which is love. Yeah. So in a way, the suffering of the poverty is is really the the ego um, suffering, but coming yeah, yeah. into a place of blessing or, or grace yeah. or, yeah, love. Yeah. And another thing I think this too is... Um, you know, the famous line in Rilke, we'll be looking at him later in the series, where the, the poet is mystic. And um, in letters to a young poet, where this young poet sends him his poems, and says, tell me if my poems are any good. And Rilke says, you're looking outward, that you must stop doing. You must ask yourself in the stillest hour of your darkest night, must I write poetry? Mm. If the answer is a clear and simple yes, you must build every moment of your life, even its most unassuming hour in fidelity to that. And so really, uh, the, the true poet or the true artist or the musician, they're not someone that just fabricates it and dashes it off. Mm-hmm. There's someone who patiently waits, mm. like actively waiting and leaning into the waiting, waiting for the outflow of what they can't make happen. Because if they made it happen, it'll have, the, it'll have the ring of ego. Yeah, yeah. But when the beauty shines through, it, 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 came cha- it, they cha- it channeled itself through them. Mm-hmm. And I think these are the words of lovers and poets and children and 
like this. And this has to do with this, this poverty, mm -hmm. you know, this love channeling itself through our nothingness without God. I think it's like that, I think. Mm -hmm. My dishonor bid you bear up. And I think this is the mystery of the cross. Okay. My, my dishonor that I went through out of love for you. Ah. Bear up. Bear, I know it's hard. Yeah. I know it's hard. And, and bear up because I, I bore it for you. So you bear up and learn to trust in me and learn to draw strength in me mm. and, and learn to be resourceful in finding the resources to f find the grounding place that you're looking for. Don't, don't, don't give up. Don't be impatient. Because it builds character. It builds character. Do you and, think this uh, is also a little bit along the lines of Jesus saying, follow me? Like, it is. Like yeah. There's a way we have to bear up to, to follow Jesus on the path he traveled. Exactly. And that's why I say too, he says, that image that I gave too, where they pierced his heart with a lance after he died, blood yeah. and water flowed out, like the birth of a child. Then I say, then there was no more Jesus left in Jesus. And when there's no more Jesus left in Jesus, the only Jesus that was ever really there shines throughout the whole world. Mm. So Jesus says, come follow me. Sounds like a good idea so you see where he's taking us. Yes, yeah. So it's, it's, it's like learning to die of love at the hands of love till there's nothing left of us but love. When there's nothing left of us but love, the only me, the only you that was ever really there shines bright because infinite love is creating us in the image and likeness of love. And so it's the substantiality of love. Everything else is smoke and mirrors mm -hmm. passing away. We're, we're learning to find our way to that love. See, And you can tell she's found it. Yes. See, the and when we sit with her, she's mentoring us. Because mm -hmm. if we didn't resonate with the beauty of her words, we wouldn't, res we, wouldn't, we wouldn't understand it. But something, we can't figure it out or maybe say it back. Yeah. But something in us knows that it's beautiful, and it's beautiful because it's true. Mm -hmm. And we only recognize what's already true within us. So she's helping us understand ourselves. Yes. That with her guidance, it can get stronger and more consistent like this. My sufficiency bids you to refrain from complaint. And it's kind of a nuancing of what was said, uh, the previous one, because, mm -hmm. see, my, my sufficiency, my sufficiency bids you to refrain from complaint. Don't complain because my sufficiency will sustain you. Mm -hmm. And it will sustain you even if you don't make it. My sufficiency will sustain you. See? You'll be unexplainably sustained because mm -hmm. I'm infinitely sufficient like this. Because when you're complaining, you're acting as if somehow I'm gonna be giving you your resources on your terms to get past it. Mm -hmm. And and that's, that's, that's the mystery, however that goes. Yes. But regardless of how it goes, with you being sufficient or not sufficient, my sufficiency is always with you. Don't complain. Yeah. I'm sustaining you. And even if you don't make it, I'm sustaining you. Yeah. That's what it, that's what it feels like to me when you talk about the, the foretaste of heaven, you know, so that yeah. when we pass over, my sufficiency bids you refrain. No one's going to complain. On the other side, they, yeah, they don't because <laughs> the, they really the sufficiency don't. they'll be insufficiency. They'll be feeling the sufficiency of. That's yeah, exactly right. Yeah. Merton said in one of his talks to the monks, he said, "You know, the word martyr means witness, but the martyr doesn't give up on life. The martyr gives up on the illusion of having life, mm. and in giving up on the illusion of having life, they bear witness." Like that. And that's what I think it also means when Jesus rose from the dead. He rose with his wounds. Yes. And so it's the eternality of the wounds. So not only shall time be no more, but the suffering shall be no more. But the wounds that we bore are eternal, but glorified mm. and transfigured in love. And what she's saying now in subtle mystical dimensions, it can even start to happen now. Yeah. See, yeah. even though my wounds are ongoing, I'm somehow free from the tyranny of the woundedness over me because the love that sustains me in my woundedness. That's the subtle mm -hmm. thing, I think. Mm -hmm. My victory bid you pursue to the end all virtues. Mm -hmm. And remember we said in the previous dialogue together, virtues here is virtuous or strength. So my victory bid you pursue to the end all virtues, which is the strengths. 
given to you through love mm. is, is the virtue. My goal bids you endure many things <laughs> because my goal for you is me. <laughs> that's, that's what he says earlier, God's sister. That's a petty complaint because you know, all these things are passing away. Mm -hmm. And the you that identifies with these things is passing away. But the you that subsists in me as the beloved never passes away. So my goal is for you to endure many things mm -hmm. because all these things are ephemeral in time and passing away along with the self that identifies with them. And, and my goal, in other words, uh, just wait long enough, all this will be taken care of. <laughs> you know why? Because you'll be dead. See? And you'll be forever on my terms, not your terms. Yes, yes. And what you're learning through mystical love, even now, even though you're still in time on this earth, mm -hmm. you can learn to live on my terms. Yeah. And, and so it's a foretaste of your eternal destiny through love, which is the teaching of all the mystics, really. The epistemology of realized eschatology. Epistemology is the art of knowledge. Uh -huh. So there's the knowledge realized, and eschatology is the final victory of God over all suffering mm. and death. Mm. Realized eschatology is the victory is already here. Yeah, yeah. But hidden, hidden. But through love, it shines out, see, through things. Which and isn't so my, to say, Jim, that we kind of um, belittle or kind of can ignore our finite circumstances. It's it's the opposite in a way that we live more right. more fully into them, knowing that they don't have the power over us that kind of makes us want to step back from them or, or be afraid of them. Yes, that's that's true. Um, in this sense, I think. See, sometimes the temptation with mystical union is um, it's beyond the suffering of this world. Yeah. So if only I become a mystic, yeah. I'm beyond the suffering of this world. But it's actually the opposite. Mm. It actually radicalizes. This is the mystery of the incarnation. It radicalizes our oneness with our day-by-day, -day ordinary, earthly, bodily self in relationship with others as, as incarnate infinity. As the world God so loved, he sent his only begotten son. And so it really then heightens our sensitivity to our own suffering. Yeah. and what we can do to lighten it. And the peace not dependent on whether we can lighten it or not. Mm -hmm. What can I do to be more sensitive to your suffering in response to it? And inner peace is not dependent on my ability to lighten it. Yes. And, and that's, that's what I think is the relationship between mystical union and the corporal works of mercy, or mystical union and social justice. It's this heightened response like this. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, bring us home, Jim. Last line. Okay. <laughs> For this, you shall have glory when I remove your heavy burden. <laughs> and the this, God's saying, is me. In other words, it's the infinity of me, beloved. You know, I'm already yours. You know, I'm already yours. For this, for this, for this eternal union, for this, and I'll, I'll lift your heavy burden. And I, I sense it in this. In some sense, the heavy burden is, is will be lifted in the hour of our death. Mm-hmm. I lay my burden down. See, I lay my burden. But there's another meaning, I think, for her. When I remove your heavy burden, and your he the heavy burden is attributing authority to the circumstances, to have the authority to say who you are and what's happening to you. That's the heavy burden. But when you say that there's no substantiality to the conditions, because I transcend, I'm unexplainably permeating the conditions forever. Like that. And the more you can interiorly be quickened to realize that, you're, you're, you're free from the heavy burden in the midst of the burden. That's my sense of it. Beautiful. Well, thank you for your wonderful talk on this section. And then um, today's just been a lot of joy to go through it together and, and listen to the words um, again. And so... Thank you so much. Beautiful. And I, I, I think I just really love the flow of uh, the love language, but the, the sense of both confidence and humility. It's, it's yeah. nice to see the interplay of, of those two things from McTilde. I was stuck once Richard Rohr was giving a talk, and he says, you know, when you hear these mystics talk, it's one with such confidence they speak of infinity. <laughs> 
with confidence. He said, but it's mingled with deep humility. Yeah. So you get the feeling here, this is very bold. You know what I mean? This is, this is out there. Yes, yeah. But with a kind of a, a, a quiet confidence that's so disarmingly humble. Yeah. And that's how she mentors us for us to foster that same sensitivity, you know, in us. Yeah, very beautiful. Yeah. Yes. Well, thanks again, Jim, and I look forward to the next one. Yes. And a big thanks to Corey, who's always with us, supporting us. And thank you for being here with us, Corey. Thank you for listening to this episode of Turning to the Mystics, a podcast created by the Centre for Action and Contemplation. We're planning to do episodes that answer your questions. So if you have a question, please email us at podcasts at cac.org or send us a voicemail. All of this information can be found in the show notes. We'll see you again soon. Do you feel called to walk a more contemplative path? The Center for Action and Contemplation is an educational nonprofit supporting the journey of inner transformation. Our programs and resources will help grow your consciousness, deepen your prayer practice, and strengthen your compassionate engagement with the world. Learn more about our resources, such as publications, podcasts, email series, and events at www.cac.org.